Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee here with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hi, everybody. Who just has a happy grin on his face because it's hashtag new bike day. New bike day. I didn't think I was going to get my new mountain bike for like months, like eight months. <laughs> and I wanted to demo it, but a bike shop owner, he's pretty smart. He didn't, he couldn't get me a demo. So he just secretly ordered me the bike I wanted in my size and, and said, then hey, sent me a picture and said, Hey, it's here. There's a bike here. <laughs> Do you want it? And I, I, I'm just going to assume this is another dumb thing I'm doing. Uh, instead of doing a demo, I'm just going to buy Specialized Epic, the 2018. Can I play devil's advocate to that? Yeah. I don't think that you're, so, um, you painted it there as if you're going in fully blind. And in yeah, this case, yeah. I'm not sure you really, uh, or it's not fully blind because the geometry on this bike, we're really familiar with it. And I'm very familiar with it because it's really, really close to what is on my ASR, my Yeti ASR. I, we know people that even developed this bike. They've given me a lot of feedback. We know how this bike, we know the traits and characteristics of this bike. Yeah. And there's another pro, um, I don't. Yeah, Pete Morris, who's mm -hmm. a friend of the show, mm -hmm. he told me that his pro friends that have been riding this bike say it's the best bike they've ridden for cross-country mountain bike. Yeah. And the geometry is about exactly the same as the ASR, which is your bike. Close, yeah. yeah. So if you throw a 120-millimeter fork on there, then it's really, really, really close. Yeah, and it'll it's have like within fractions. But um, if you have a 100-millimeter fork on there, it's a little steeper. It has slightly shorter chain stays than my bike, and it's um, a slightly longer front center. So that just means like slightly less stability, I guess you could say in one respect. Do I need more stability? Perhaps more in others. So <laughs> yeah. in other situations, you'll have more. So And it saves probably four to five pounds over my current bike. Yeah, because you'll probably be in a size XL. You'll be at like 23 pounds. Probably. So this cross-country bike is a replacement for your Yeti. And yep, because I wanted a, I want two bottle cages. Um, the Yeti's awesome, but, but I- But even though the Yeti's like cross-country slash trail, you want to- Another bike in addition, a full-on cross-country well, bike. Well, because your your Yeti is going to be gone, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I already so have a buyer for the Yeti, and I have realized, know thyself, that I like cross-country courses, and I don't need mm. the any mm. more burly or anything. And even on the Yeti, I was only using 60% of the travel all the time. So I'm kind of carrying around a bigger, more capable bike for yeah. all these things that I don't enjoy or want to do or even am capable, at least right now, to do. So I do really like, though doing the cross-country courses that are not so burly, some hits, yeah. and I get to save some pounds, and I should be more, well, it's arguably actually with the Switch Infinity on the Yeti, mm -hmm. more efficient, but right, yeah. um, I'll at least be a lot lighter and be able to carry two bottles in my frame. Um, right, while the suspension design might be more efficient, you're going to be much more efficient on this bike because of the geometry, because of the weight, because of everything else. It's really built for what you like to do. Yeah, and for so. switchbacks and tight cornering too, it should be uh, a little bit better because it's not as uh, steep of a head tube angle. Not right? a slack. It's not more slack. steep. It's more yep. steep, yep. So it should be easier, and it's a shorter wheelbase as well, yeah. I believe, uh, mostly because Is that of common that. with CX or uh, cross-country bikes? Uh, cross-country bikes have shorter wheelbases usually because they have a less, they have a steeper head tube angle. So okay. that basically so means that it's less like a chopper that you see, like a Harley like sure. that. Oh, and so I remember the thing usually, that I yeah. wanted to talk about too. Oh yeah. Uh, um, one, one thing really quick, yeah. you know, Chad, you were mentioning uh, the fact that um, like potential overlap between those two bikes mm -hmm. and... You know, it's interesting. I think that for, for a person like me, I feel like there would be too much overlap if I had something like a trail bike and my cross-country race bike, because my cross-country race bike isn't old school. If you have an old school bike, like um, a hardtail, or even if you just have like a hardtail cross-country bike, you can get a trail bike and I think have a really well-rounded or capable stable mm -hmm. of bikes. Yeah, a, a hardtail... Um, Light hardtail and a 4.5 would be, would be pretty perfect. good. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm leaning yep. toward. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be like the ideal, um, or not ideal. I, I think that that would be a good setup. Now, if you have like a full suspension cross-country bike that's a little more modern, so for example, like the new Epic or the new Scott um, RC, I can't remember the name of it, um, or something like the ASR, if you have something like that, then I feel like you can probably bump up the next bike into a little bit more yeah. leg, a little bit more slack head tube angle. So you're getting into more of the enduro, enduro style. Yeah, because yeah, it's capable yeah. and efficient enough to be to do well in something that a hardtail would do well in, but also do well as something with a 4.5, like a yeah. more travel bike like you have. So mm -hmm. Chad, you actually have a hardtail and a 
and the 4.5. So you're mm-hmm. for racing, like you can, you could probably even do enduros just fine on that 4.5. Oh, totally. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm sure of that. Yeah. We've covered it plenty of times, but Nate Hills, if you want to see awesome YouTube first person videos, go on there. Uh, Nate Hills, he has something called follow cam Friday and that guy rides trails way faster than I could ever dream of riding and stuff that I would, I would be sketched out to ride. And he does it all on a 4.5. And most people think that they need like a really big downhill bike. And he does it on a lot of his riding is done on that. So, yeah. So segue on that is I said, I'd like the cross country racing, all that kind of stuff. But then I'm going to contradict what I just said <laughs> is I did a, uh, a day up at North star and it was this, some CEOs and venture capitalists all got together and we got to ride together. It's kind of cool. And I rented a downhill bike, full-on downhill bike. I think it had 200 millimeters of travel. Um, nice. Right? Like, so, a, like a magic carpet ride down the hill. It was. And <laughs> it had big, burly tires. I think they were Magic Mary and uh, a con- Magic Mary, which is a Schwabby up front, and then a Continental. I don't know the kind. The Magic Mary is practically a dirt bike tire. It's yeah. it's it's gnarly. It's and awesome. So the so it's completely different and it was a demo and not set up for me at all. And I was going down the same trails that I had on my Yeti and I was going with these guys. And this, another nice thing was there were a few guys that just shred, they had their own downhill bikes and they were, they're like you, Jonathan, they're flying through the air and they were mm-hmm. just gone. Um, and then there were a bunch of guys, my speed, which was really nice. Yeah. Right. And then I was actually faster than some people who were just beginners. So right. we're going down with some guys. And I'm like, this is so slow. Uh, I am having horrible times. And I was having a lot of fun, though. And the, the, the downhill bike uh, saved me. I could do a lot of bad things. And they felt bad, but I didn't crash. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, Forgiving. Yeah, exactly. And 80% of our group crashed. The top guys, <laughs> like everyone, like a lot of people, I saw them at lunch. And they were uh, like, ri- ri- yeah, my wrist is all swollen. And my ankle is messed up. Anyways. I looked at the times afterwards and I actually took maybe on a five minute downhill, I took 20 seconds off on the downhill bike. Right. But it felt slower. I think a lot of that too was I was looking farther down the trail because with the downhill bike, I didn't have to, it felt like the trail wasn't bumpy, right? Because right. it was so much suspension. I didn't care about where my tire was because it would just go over everything. Yeah. But I, I even thought, I was like, man, I could actually do an enduro if I had a bike like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it kind of got the wheels turning for maybe someday to get a bike number 18 <laughs> dude you have more bikes than me. <laughs> <I know. laughs> this is true this is and, true and this new mountain bike since i'm getting rid of one it, it's not even an extra yeah so if you had like um the current bike you have like the epic and then you had something like a um, a 160 millimeter that's front travel uh enduro like bike still pedal i don't yeah. think full downhill but I, I like the idea of something that's long that i can still pedal for an enduro yeah you you'd be amazed at what you can get away with on on the l- more leggy enduro bikes it's it's mm. pretty impressive stuff so and chad's gears had, are turning he's thinking of bike number dude, 27 it is no, fun no, <laughs> the enduro is fun too i think i i imagine it at least more like a triathlon everyone's just like super cool oh, and doesn't so really fun. it's not as competitive and when you're going down as long as no one's on your butt it's you versus yourself hmm. right like i just want to get these times They're faster time and i'm not going to be the fastest i'm never going to win enduro ever right, right? But I just want to like improve my own times and have fun. Oh, it's so much fun. It's a good environment. And we're going to actually going to get to test that out because we'll be doing Grinduro this fall, which uses the Enduro format, but it mixes it up because you've got road climbs or a road climb is a stage. And then I think rolling dirt slash road is another stage. They have a dirt, really steep climb. I think that's a stage, a downhill single track stage. And then the, you know, all those times get added up and he who has the shortest time wins. But the cool part is you ride from one stage to the next. So it's basically a big loop and only portions that loop are timed. Uh, so it makes for just camaraderie. It really varied terrain all on a single bike. Yeah, it's going to be pretty fun. So that but, one will be really unique. That That's the unique aspect of Grinduro in the sense that we've got varied terrain and we, we get to pick the bike that we use for that. And most people um, use a cross bike on that, but could my Epic be a... It depends on how messed up the trails are. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will be on, probably on hardtail mountain bikes too. Um, I think a cross bike will be faster just because of aerodynamics. So, If we did, um, what, what was the one we did, Lost and Found? Yeah. That one, I think I would have been faster on the Epic just probably. because of the downhills and probably. stuff because I lost so much time on that. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that, that's very, it's, it, that's why the cool thing is this, the, there is no right bike. It depends on the person. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool stuff. Um, uh, first though, something we should mention, and we'll be mentioning this every week as we lead up to it. It's exciting stuff. We're going to have a live podcast recording. You can join us, find out what we look like, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Two of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Chad's not going to be there. Boo. Sad face. <laughs> Sad day. So we got our schedules messed up and Chad had vacation after we already scheduled it. And for- like it's not a flexible one. So coach Chad won't be there, um, which will be a bummer, but trust me, uh, Nate and I will have our hair going very well <laughs> and, uh, we'll be, we'll be ready to go. And we'll have a special guest, Matt Fitzgerald. Uh, he's an author. He's written many books. Uh, one of them, which we've mentioned frequently on this podcast is how bad do you want it? It talks all about the psychology of performance, especially within endurance sports. And we're going to deep dive on that. So if you've got questions on anything related to how to prepare yourself mentally or how to improve your performance from that aspect. That's what we're going to get into. Uh, Pretty soon uh, we'll have a link on the Rafa Cycle Club website so that you can go there and you can actually register. uh, So then we'll know uh, refreshments, everything else, how many people to expect. Is it in San Fran proper? It is. It's in San Francisco. Uh, It's actually uh, pretty darn close to the Marina District, so not far from the Golden Gate Bridge in that area. We're going to ride over the Golden Gate? We are. That'll be fun. We're going to do a group ride after the podcast. We're going to ride from uh, the cycle club. We're going to head straight over the bridge up into Marin and weather pending. We're going to summit Tam and, uh, do the, do it the dirt way. If we can going up, which will be fun. Uh, Wait, dirt way. Yeah. There's a dirt way going up. It's a lot of fun. And then you take road coming down. So it's a really cool route. But this is dirt meaning I'd ride it on my road bike. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I rode it in the mud on a road bike with 23C tires, and I was fine. So it's um, it's Says called the National Mountain Biker. <laughs> it's called uh, Old Railroad Grade, if anybody's heard of it. So uh, that's the plan. If it's dry, if not, then we'll stick to the roads. But it's going to be a great time. That's Saturday, November 4th. And once again, at the Rafa Cycle Club in San Francisco, live podcast recording. Question, Jonathan. Yes, sir. What if I'm not the, you call me, sir. <laughs> what if I'm not the fastest cyclist? Can I come on this ride? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's um. now we talked about this last time. We're going to be talking about the psychology of performance and like extracting everything you can. I assume people will be pretty, um, pretty jazzed up and ready to go. But at the same time, it's going to be, at least I'm going to be riding at an easy pace. So, um, no worries. Jonathan's easy. It's some people's hard, but I'm guessing we'll regroup, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No drop affair, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's we, a no drop affair. Yeah, we'll yeah. be regrouping regular. Oh, I shouldn't say it's a no drop in the sense that we will be regrouping. It's not as if everybody will just keep the pace sure. based off of the slowest person, but um, we'll be regrouping regularly. Uh, we'll probably work in like a final stop right there in like the Sausalito area by above category. It's a great so like shop. On that climb, people can gun it if they want, but totally. then we'll just meet at the top. Totally. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So a uh, great ride. It should be around 60 to 70 miles and uh yeah it's gonna be awesome so and november 4th actually november tends to be pretty decent weather in san francisco uh summer is terribly cold so but november's not bad so uh, that's exciting stuff once again november 4th saturday uh rafa cycle club san francisco uh something else that uh chad really i can't say we did because i didn't have anything to do with this but you did mm-hmm. uh, team jonathan that's true everything's we here we, it's all collective yes. uh you release the new cross plans that's correct I uh, can, let's go over just a, a couple things as far as what we've done to, um, or I guess we're all going to be using this plan here. Very I already soon. have been. Nate already has. Mm-hmm. Nate, what have you noticed as far as what the plan's giving you in terms of fitness so markers? Uh, just going back for a second, it's revamped. So the existing plans are just edited, but I, from what I've seen is, uh, more anaerobic work, mm-hmm. um, a better progression for VO2 max work. Mm-hmm. And then the weekend, the uh, the over under. I don't even know. You don't even call them over unders. What do you call those? Where they like you spike up and those then you are come- reduced amplitude billouts. So it's it's a, it's VO two max repeats, but instead of recovering at you know forty or fifty percent, you recover in quotes at like sweet spot wattage. So eighty eight percent, ninety two percent, right in there. So much fun. It's so. the it's the devil's <laughs> workout. It is, but it's super race specific and it yeah, maintains totally. a high level of aerobic uptake. So there's a really big aerobic. Uh, adaptation ideally i just did one and uh last weekend and i think it had over 150 intervals 
Probably. Are. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, again, they're, they're little course simulations. So yep. they're, they're in blocks of, you know, five, maybe up to 10 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you just do 150 repeats right in a row, but you do many of them. You don't rest for very long and then you repeat. So again, it's a rigorous workout, but it's no more rigorous than uh, most cross races. Yeah. I was just going to say, looking at most of the cross races that I did last year, there were at least 15 surges per lap. So, and mm-hmm. we were doing multiple laps for an hour, hour and a half, yeah. somewhere around there sometimes, or and I to, should say an hour. You have to grow that familiarity with trying to recover or, and again, recovery in, in a loose sense while doing quite a lot of work. I mean, that's the nature of racing, at least this type of racing. I've also noticed that the easy days are super easy. And this is something I want to ask about too. So I'm on the, I'm trying the high volume plan once again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far I'm doing well, but the, some of the, the easy days I'm actually, uh, because of work, I skipped them, mm-hmm. which is fine. Right. I can, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's not active recovery. So it's uh, some people that gives them those heavy legs. I mean, it can, it, it doesn't facilitate recovery in the same manner that light riding does, but sometimes it's the right call. Sometimes even that light riding is, is not recuperative. You're just too tired. So I'm one other, my other point too, is that, uh, life did get in the way on those days. So mm-hmm. I'm not like damaging yeah. my fitness because no, no. I'm you're focusing gonna, on the hard If days. you're going to bypass anything, make it the low quality days. And I, I low quality is maybe not the right description, but the days that aren't focused on improving fitness, they're more focused on you know, the recovery aspect of it, which you're going to get off the bike anyways, just, just cool. virtually the same extent. We're all going to get really, really fast because I've followed the old cross plan before and I had killer fitness. I can't wait. Yeah, um, the old plans so. are good plans too. I mean, I just think that the onus is on uh, upon pretty much every coach to continue learning. And whether you do that via you know reading and, and going to uh, continuing education sort of events, or you do that, or and ideally you do that via racing, you can learn a lot over over the course of your you know coaching and, and racing career. And that's kind of what's happened here. I mean, I didn't have much of a cyclocross background to base all this on. I, it was just stuff I read and stuff I could infer from other types of racing. But now I've actually race cross. I know what the demands are. I know what it's like to, to, to race, um, to, to adopt one strategy versus another. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot. Yeah, and the previous plan was killer, so I'm excited for the new one. I also find they're a little bit, uh, f- while watching it, they're easier to watch TV because there's more rest. So mm-hmm. what I do is, uh, besides the the weekend one, but on the anaerobic day or even the VO2 max day, oh, yeah, yeah. the anaerobic day, I can just, it's like a minute of work to 15 seconds. I can kind of, uh, I just f- ignore the TV and go inside myself. But on the VO2 max days, I switch between TV. Then I pause it like 30 seconds before. I put on some loud music <laughs> nice. and I go through my interval and then I put back to TV because some of the yeah, rest periods could be four or five minutes. Uh-huh. And I don't like listening to TV for four or, five, or uh, watching, listening to music, pedaling easy for four or five minutes. I just watch TV. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. The cool. Defenders. I bounce back and forth. Marvel. <laughs> That's the yeah. new one you're on Netflix, yep. There we are. Uh, one last thing before we get into to some questions. Um, we've still been getting a lot of people asking uh, how my recovery is going, and thank you very much for sending that in. I'm actually going to be racing this weekend right after this. I'm heading, after we record and post the podcast, I'm heading out to Utah. Uh, I was committed to a race beforehand. And I was, commi- and I was wanting to go fast at that race. And now I'm not, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be going very fast, but it's park city point to point. Do you guys have any, uh, desire to do this one? Yeah, in the I do very much. I got a yeah. bike. Yeah. When we leave <laughs> <laughs> today, <laughs> come on, you can fit in the mini Cooper. We'll all go. Uh, it's, it's going to be 75 miles on a mountain bike. Oh, wait a second. I it's didn't know that. <laughs> 15,500 feet of climbing. And it's, I think, 98% or more than 98% single track, which wow. that's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like fun. a rad day. Uh, it's it's also it's, All at once? Uh, what do you, like a mass start thing? It's No, I mean, it's, it's that's one day? Yeah, one day. What? So, uh, yeah. So the, the cool part, it's in Park City, Utah, which is like the, the, the it's not going to be like what we endured there at, uh, endured, as I say, at single track six, the really tough, really tricky technical stuff. Better not be for 75 miles. There's really not a lot of that. There, there now in spots, especially in Deer Valley, you can pick some really technical trail, but the majority of the trail in Park City is just flowy single track. Um, so, so what sort of o- overall duration are you looking at? So I was thinking, you know, maybe seven hours, but then Jeff Kabush told me that he was thinking about seven hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, probably eight, nine hours. I mean, this is going to be like, long. uh, Leadville. And so from what, everything that I've heard, people have said that this is in terms of duration, uh, usually if, if a person is like an eight hour Leadville rider at this race, there'll be a nine to a 10. 
so so longer than Leadville. Yeah, and the reason is there's just it's so much climbing and it's all single track versus just the average speed at Leadville it can be much higher. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that it's more or less a, a gravel race in in a lot of senses. So. So, and, and also the word is that this is just infinitely harder than Leadville. Now, in interestingly, it doesn't have the elevation, but it's 8,000 feet is like, where I think we're uh, Park City, somewhere around 7,000 feet. And we're climbing up to around 8,000, 9,000, I think nine, just under 10,000 is the highest we get. So, and we just, it's like somebody drops spaghetti on the mountains and we just have a route that falls on the spaghetti. So mm. it's going to be, uh going to be a ton of fun, uh, but I'm certainly not going all out at this one. We're going to just pace ourselves and hopefully make it to the finish. And you still have a scratch on your face from your, so it's, from your crash. I think so that's like, a permanent scar. So, is it? Yeah. yeah it looks a like, a, like um, if someone's in prison, they got a tear for each person they killed. <laughs> you got that's a scratch a now for your- That's uh, a big tear too. For your crash. Must have been an important person. So. You, should get a, you should do a new one for each crash. Straw <laughs> down your face. Yeah. So, but the- Each bike you've killed. The concussion effects of have all but disappeared. Um, I don't seem to have any at all, uh, not noticing them and trying to live outside of myself as much as possible. But having said that, um, I once again, just want to reaffirm, I have a new helmet um, and I'm going easy. And this isn't like a really technical race. I'm just going to take things easy. So, Well, just don't uh, too have, since it's easy, have any lapse in mental thinking. Yeah, that's the key, right? Concentrate. You tell yourself it's easy, that's when you make a mistake. Yeah. So. Hey, you so only have to concentrate for nine hours, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Not mentally fatiguing at all. You know? um, no. Are you doing anything different compared to uh, Carson City or uh, single track six, like for nutrition or hydration or just kind of the same thing, but more? Um, so I... At Carson City, I, I identified at least a lack of heat uh, adaptation as a pro as the issue that I had there, uh, or heat acclimation, I should call it. What's the temperature going to be there? Uh, it's going to be the high is like eighty nine degrees, oh, so, uh, so it'll be it'll be warm for sure. But uh, especially because we're at higher elevation, it feels hot, but it'll be warm. Um, but it'll be a high of eighty nine degrees, and I feel like the heat right now isn't too much of a bother for me. Uh, I've gotten much better since then at that. Nutrition and, and hydration hasn't been a problem though. And at single track six, I felt like that was a strong point of mine. I noticed myself getting stronger toward relatively speaking to competition at the end of every race. So I feel like I haven't changed any of that. Um, only things that I have changed is I'm still using your Eagle. Thank you very much for this race, which is very nice. You're welcome. And it will be very helpful on this course because it has so much climbing. And I'm also, I switched to the ESI chunky grips instead of the racer's edge, which just means they're a little thicker to give me some more cushion. And I've also, I'm running. Is that for your hands? For my hands. Yeah. Well, and also the wrists and everything else that stem up from that. Mm -hmm. And I'm running uh, two and a half PSI lower in my fork and in my shock. Uh, so a little softer setup. And my fork, two and a half PSI, seems to make it, um, I guess, more soft. There's more of a reduction than in the shock. So I'm running the fork softer than I normally would, knowing that I don't have to look for big drops or big anything else like that. And I'm really looking for comfort. So that's really the only changes I'm doing. But anyways, um, I'm back at it. That's the, that's the point. So good cool. stuff. Let's go right into Ben's question. He says, I'm having a frustrating problem with my latest generation kicker. Every time I put my bike on the kicker, my rear derailleur is horribly out of tune. It's an 11 speed bike with a 142 millimeter through axle. I'll get it in or to get it in tune. I need to adjust the limit screws a lot. And he has lot in all caps to move the derailleur towards the bike. It's really hard to tune the, the derailleur when you're fighting the resistance of the kicker. I thought I'd, I thought I'd be smart and buy some 0.3 millimeter cassette spacers to push the cassette out a little towards the bike. I added three and it makes things better. I clearly need to add another one or two, but the cassette lock ring no longer reaches the threads of the free hub. I'm wondering if this is a common problem, which before I go any further, uh, yeah, we actually do hear about it somewhat frequently. It's, he says, it's very frustrating when you want to use a single bike on the road and on the trainer. Honestly, it's just about making me give up on indoor training in the summer. <gasps> Don't do that, Ben. You'll get slower. Uh, Don't do it. <laughs> he says, I wish the kicker somehow allowed some lateral movement of the cassette. I do think that that would be a really good idea. If smart trainer companies, if you're yeah, listening, like a little knob, it yeah, just, just, just fine totally tuning. Sure. Allow the cassette to move because different bikes are going to, and, and we have boost now, which is 148 by 12, which 148, whenever you see boost, what we're talking about there is the actual width of the rear end. So 148 is the distance or millimeters between dropout and dropout. In this case, he has 142. 
So, and then most road bikes are 130s. Uh, some TT bikes are 135s, but it's pretty rare uh, these days. They kind of drop back down to 130 and stayed there. Um, but anyways, it would be a really good idea, I think, for them to make it so that you could move that cassette. Anywho, uh, a couple things. The first thing you want to check is the kicker uh, specifically has a little spacer on it and it, and it's on the left side. If you're looking down at the trainer facing the direction you would be riding and if it's a little flip flop spacer, you can pull it out and flip it around and it will be enough spacing for a 135 or flip it the other way. And it'll be enough spacing for a 130. If you're on a normal road bike and you can look this up on the internet, make sure that you're using the right spacing or else mm -hmm. you could possibly damage your frame. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Very it's on the non-drive side. Yes, exactly. And then if you, uh, uh, Wahoo makes a through axle adapter and that through axle adapter actually gives you more space so you can run a 142 bike on there. I've seen people flip that around backwards and thusly have spacing problems. And it almost sounds like this might be the case. That's here. what I'm thinking. Yeah. And in other words, how far off he is. Cause I mean, I've been off a little bit, but it's, it's like basically take the barrel adjuster, knock it one or two nudges, one direction or the other. Problem solved. Yeah, I can't imagine adjusting the limit screws. On no, that, definitely not. Which the limit screws adjust where the like the ax the absolute left and right limits are. So yeah, that that's I consider that major adjustment, and you shouldn't need anything beyond minor adjustment for something like this. Yeah, so I would check that first of all, and then on the kicker on the drive side, you have a little threaded on um, flat and or flat sided nut uh, that you screw on, or it's like a washer basically, mm -hmm. and it's just got flat sides on it, and you thread that on. That's important to have on the drive side when you're threading that on. And then, uh, after that, you've just got basically the end caps and you want to make sure those fit, but those shouldn't affect the spacing. So chances are, it sounds like you've got the 142 spacer flipped. The way you can see is if it's inserted and you can read 142, that's the right position that it's in. Uh, or you might have that nut on the wrong side, but that's what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. There's two other things to think about too. Um, so if you're in erg mode and which you're probably doing all your workouts in erg mode, which means that the resistance, the trainer will change resistance. You just keep it, um, the cadence, right? I, a lot of times will just switch my bike into a gear that doesn't click. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be in the biggest gear. Totally. And especially when adjusting the limit screws, I think you could just put it on there, go down a couple gears. I have to do this on my mountain bike. Mm -hmm. We even saw on my mountain bike, it was like skipping. Yep. Right. So we yeah. would, uh, and we tried to adjust it. Then we said, this is, this is silly. Let's just move it down one gear. Um, and it works fine. Yep. Uh, I've even ran a 12 speed on 11 speed mm -hmm. and a 10 speed bike on an 11 speed Same here. cassette. Works. And as long you as you get You can find it, one gear that works. Yeah, exactly. Just find the one gear that works. Mm -hmm. The only time that you would have to shift would be like during a test. Mm -hmm. You could always switch the test over into ERG and kind of just ingest the intensity yourself to, to see where you like. Yeah, we talked about average. that last week, right? Yeah, one of these yeah, weeks I think we so. did. Yeah. But it, but but you that would be the only time that you would have to adjust it. So I I think you could just find the gear that works and go. And stick with it. Yeah, assuming it's a reasonably straight chain position too. You don't want to be on extremes like big, big, small, small, or right. anywhere near those. Yeah, yeah. And really what that just causes is these days it's not a whole lot of efficiency loss like it used to be because chains are made with especially with you know wide range cassettes, chains are made to 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 be able to operate efficiently at, at extreme angles or relatively extreme angles. But it does cause a, a extra wear. And also something that I see a lot of people do, they, they get a kicker and they put it into their tiny cog in the back and the big ring up front and it is not quiet if that's the case that yeah. thing gets really loud yeah the so, bigger the gear the more noise so yeah so keep that in mind and you're getting the same like you don't need to be in that gear you can be in another gear with erg mode and still be getting the benefit and yeah. still be training right i've talked about like sometimes i'll dump it in the smallest gear and it feels way different but if i'm in like big up front and instead of in my 11 i'm like one down i don't notice any difference yeah at all. you're not going yeah. to yeah as long as i don't have the skipping or jumping that's fine the other thing i want to talk about is before too i've had it where my skewer on the kicker has been bent mm -hmm. and that is so hard, especially on the TT bike to get level. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And then it, it puts that because there is like a little bit of slack with the skewer, like it doesn't fit really tight through the, through the kicker. Mm -hmm. So it sets your bike at an angle, which then makes the derailleur sit at an angle and the chain on the cassette it makes shifting weird. Um, I've been using the hammer for maybe the last 10 months, yeah. eight months, the Cyclops hammer, yeah. which is pretty a competitor to the kicker. I love it. It does 148 also boost, and it you that one instead of having an adapter, it just uh, has these little cups that change, and it threads right through. Super easy. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I I have my 
I mean, I endorse the kicker, but I also endorse the hammer. So, so some, you actually use your through axle? Yep. Use oh, your nice. own, whatever the one is. The only thing I don't do is I think on my, what is it? My mountain bike, the way that they've made the casing for the hammer, I couldn't get it tight enough. Um, or no, not my mountain bike, my cross bike. The, the arm of the uh, through axle would hit the actual uh, frame of the trainer. Yeah. But we had here a, uh, um, a through axle that you'd put on with an Allen wrench. Gotcha. Yeah, so that, that one works. would work. And so that's the only thing to think about. If you don't have like a quick release type um, through axle, which I know sounds weird, but mountain right. bikes have those, yep. um, you might need to get your own through axle adapter. But it's it's nice because it's totally locked in then and there's no bending going on, whatever, and it feels very sturdy and stable. It's also worth saying that the, the new kicker they just released uh, has a similar system to like what the hammer has. So you can just like run your own axle through there. It's like a bigger bore hole through the center. So uh, you don't need to use that Very adapter cool. on the brand new one they just announced. I'm not sure when it'll be available, but uh, oh, they announced it like yesterday or today. Or, yeah, 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 very, very recently. Um, so uh, just recapping really quick, a hierarchy. The last thing you want to do, uh, or I should say, let's start with the first. Make sure that all of the spacers are in place. Make sure that the adapters are in the right spot. Everything's flipped to the right direction. Then after that, you can consider adding cassette spacers if you need to. And then the last should be tuning your derailleur because remember, if you tune your derailleur, you'll have to tune it back once you get back onto the road and that's a pain. So, uh, that's, that's the way to, to handle any cassette issues that you're having or shifting issues that you're having with your smart trainers. Uh, next one from Benedict. He says, I'm new to train a road and I'm four weeks into the low volume sweet spot base plan. I absolutely hate my life during some of the sessions, but I'm also looking forward to it. I have a love hate or this love hate relationship aside. This is a great product. Good. Glad to hear it, Benedict. You'll, you'll love us much less and you'll endure any type of hate that you have, maybe even erase it once you win a race or mm -hmm. something. So he says, when I'm in a non-fasted state, the sessions are usually fine and I'm able to execute the workouts as prescribed. However, there are certain days when I decide to do it in a fasted state right after getting out of bed. These sessions tend to be brutal. We've touched on that uh, quite a lot and it is difficult sometimes, but I will always push through the actual intervals. However, during the breaks, I'm smashed to the point where I don't pedal at all. I usually just rest my head on the handlebars, close my eyes, breathe deep and try to bring my heart rate down. Will not meeting the target power during the breaks, uh, during the breaks between intervals have a negative effect on the desired physical adaptations. Uh, what do you say, Chad? Well, first up, Benedict, you're not really in a fasted state just because you're getting out of bed. You probably still have enough muscle glycogen on board to get through the workout, especially if it's 60 minutes or less, um, even 90 minute workout, considering their interval formats. And a lot of the time there's recovery. Well, there's always recovery in there. So um, that, that's probably not the issue. Uh, what is the, regardless, the, the recovery intervals are pretty um, specific. There, there is meaning behind most of them. Um, and that changes as the, as the season progresses. I mean, Nate just talked about doing anaerobic intervals during the, the cyclocross season or the cyclocross plan. And he's in the specialty phase of training. Those, those are super specific and you mm -hmm. can expect that as you move from base to build from build to specialty, everything gets more specific to the events that are coming up than the ones you're training for and recovery is no exception to that. So it's not to say that you'll change the nature of the workout or you'll miss the point of it if you mildly affect the, the recovery intervals. And there are ways to target different intervals to, to keep them productive and to, to modify the recovery so that you can stay productive. And then in, in the event that you're smashed, as you put it, you can still get through them productively. Um, so it's just how you modify them. I mean, in the case of Nate's, we want long intervals, so we wouldn't rush those intervals and, and, and stack high anaerobic intervals right next to each other because that will drastically change the nature of it. But if you need to extend the nature or extend the recovery valley by a minute or two so that you can maintain productivity in the in the case of like a sweet spot workout, which is that what he's describing here? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely permissible. I mean, even, even when you do like a two by 20 workout and they're 20 minute long intervals, if you were to break that up into four, five minute intervals or five, four minute intervals with really short 30 second, maybe even 60 second, not really gonna change the nature of the muscular stress. And, and frankly, a lot of the times that it, it veers towards unproductive when you just grind yourself down, down, and maybe your target's 90 and you end up finishing the interval at 85 when you could have taken a single 30 second backpedal and held yourself at 90% with that short break. Yeah. That's so a, you some, can. Something that, sorry to, to jump in chat on mm -hmm. this, but I see this as one of the biggest misunderstandings about interval training out there. 
uh, I see a lot of people, they'll get a, a workout from their coach and it'll say like, you know, five VO two max intervals. So they'll gotten, they'll do a five minute ride yeah. and they'll just sprinkle them in, you know, one per hour, five hour ride or five hour ride. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they'll sprinkle them in, you know, one per hour. And then, but the thing is, if, if that the, the distance or if the time and intensity between those intervals was intentionally set out, mm-hmm. then that, that, that changes the you goal could, of the you workout. You could miss the coach's intention. There's really still good. training benefits to be derived from either way. But the fact is, if, if, if they're trying to, in, in the case of short recoveries between them, maybe peak you for a race or get you ready, spend a lot of time at a high aerobic uptake versus long breaks in between where you're trying to build the work capacity rather than exploit it, mm-hmm. um, different, different intentions. So it's kind of like jazz. It's, it's the notes you don't play, right? So this is like nice. <laughs> where you don't, because everyone focuses on it. So I'm going to ask you yeah, some yeah. questions about different types of training. And then I'm going to say some kind of ways that people about the rest period and you can answer that. Sure. Okay. The first endurance intervals. If I've got a long endurance session, mm-hmm. how important is it that I don't keep taking breaks or take long breaks during that endurance session. It's not really that important. I, not, not nearly as important as you know, the higher intensity stuff. So really when it comes to endurance work, you're just trying to grow your, your capabilities. And that happens by, you know, overall duration of the workout. So if this week or if one week you're doing two hour long rides and the next week you're doing two hour 15, then the next week, two 30, you're, you're growing the demand of the workout. If you happen to break that up into smaller chunks, it's really not going to affect the, 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 the outcome. So if I take some 30 second breaks in there, not a big deal. Yeah. Again, if it, if that's what helps you maintain your productivity, it's especially a good deal. If it, it it's not going to have such a negative impact on the workout, if any at all, that I would ever recommend again. So I do now, let's say I'm doing sweet spot intervals, 10 minutes long, and they have, let's say three minutes rest in between. Mm-hmm. Um, when that rest interval s- starts, let's say I just stop pedaling because I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Is that messing up the workout? Yeah, there's, I mean, the benefits of active recovery versus passive recovery are pretty well known. And and the idea is you're just trying to, uh, rather than go from basically hot straight to cold, trying to kind of uh, tone it down gradually. Mm-hmm. And, and that facilitates, you know, byproduct clearance. Um, it's just, there, there, there are upsides to it. It's not the worst thing. Yeah. Um, but I will say experiment with it and see what happens if you sit for three minutes versus spin lightly for three minutes, what happens during that next interval. So do try to, um, pedal through those. Uh, ideally. That's, that's I mean, if idea. you take, if you take a 30, 40 second break to backpedal and, and just kind of recuperate. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I find it's uh, it's more of a mental battle there. Yeah, and that's when it when it reduces. Totally. Yeah, and that's a big it, side of it. So we talk about the you know the, the byproduct clearance and and the, the, the regulation that happens over the course of that recovery. That's physiological. The psychological end of it, if if taking 30 seconds and backpedaling and collecting yourself and and you know basically uh, re encouraging yourself for lack of a better term, yeah. then by all means do that. It's something that I've, I've found personally that, um, in criteriums, uh, cyclocross cross country racing, or, I mean, even a road race that's just attacking or I don't know, maybe even, you know, triathlon, you guys just have a situation where maybe you are at the pointy end of a race or in a spot where it's just constant battles could be like a gusty day, uh, you know, that you're dealing with on a triathlon, even, you know, um, dealing with getting punched, so to speak, I'm doing air quotes, punched, and then punching back, punched, punching back, and then continuing that, continuing that is mentally extremely difficult. And I find that when I can pedal through those intervals, first of all, I've usually found that if I'm really tired like that after an interval, that if I just give myself 15 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, I'm actually okay. I just need to kind of like, you know, get it through the system and just push through it. And then I get a lot of strength from knowing the fact in, in race day, when I get punched, so to speak, Mm -hmm. I get a lot of strength from thinking, Hey, you know what? After my hard intervals, I keep pedaling. So, um, now granted, of course, if it's, if it's affecting the, the work intervals then that's a different deal, but if you can go through them and I, I look at all of my rest intervals, I try to, I know that I'm getting the most out of my training and I feel the most disciplined and like I'm getting the most out of it when I'm treating the rest intervals with the same attention and respect as I am the work intervals. Mm -hmm. And when I'm doing that, I feel like I've just checked, I've, I've crossed every T dotted every I and it's all in place. I mean, anytime you see a recovery interval at 40 or 50% of threshold, obviously the goal is recuperation. And if you're denying yourself that recuperation by working through it, the rest of your the quality of the rest of your workout is going to degrade. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be too, I mentioned on the podcast where I would 
just after the interval, oh my gosh, and I would yeah. stop. Yeah. But based on what you guys said, I've actually changed that and I've I just get You'll through feel it. Feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I do, get through right? it. And yeah. that's that's another point too. Is you'd be surprised if you just kind of force yourself to get through that first five, 10, 15 seconds pedaling at forty percent of threshold. Nothing, nothing terribly demanding. You'll recognize soon that oh, I didn't actually need to stop pedaling entirely. Yeah, and what this builds, we talked about this before, but what this builds is a rider like let's just say like uh, I can do you know four hundred and thirty watts for three minutes, you know, good on you. But what can you act, what can you do that again? Yeah, and exactly. and how long do you need to rest in between then? It's yeah, not- if, that, if that smashes you and then you're completely done for the next couple of minutes, well, it's not a, a terribly realistic race approach. Unless you're just doing a three minute race and that's it, right? And for <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah, sure. and for for most of us because track racing isn't as popular as, as road racing or anything else for most of us we're not doing short events like that and we're dealing with situations that are dynamic and we need to be able to put out big amounts of power then do it again so um it's not just you know it's not just how impressive your numbers are just for one shot but it's what you can actually do yeah, with that, that work capacity. that sort of resiliency can take you a long way in a race Huge. situation being the guy who can just push for five or ten extra seconds can can be really uh, meaningful talk about it pushing over the top of a hill yeah Oh, totally. Right, completely. Or um, just, you know, when someone hits and everyone eases up and you're the guy who goes a little longer and opens up a gap or just pushes the person who just hits you. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of benefit to it. It's, it's the mental part too. Like oh, they yeah. break, right? That oh, extra yeah. 10 seconds is yeah. all you need and they just break and see you later. You're gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing that I try to think of if I'm holding somebody's attack and when they ease up, I try to think, okay, they just went to their limit. They set a, they set a deadline, so to speak, or a limit on how hard they were willing to push, and that was it. So in that moment, no matter how tired I am, that's when I need to go a little more yeah, because just their a, will, they, they broke their own will. I don't even have to do it. It's the essence of a counterattack. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the same idea. If, 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 you know, breaking somebody down can be difficult, but if they set a deadline for their work and they say, I'm pushing until here, and then they reach that, they've already turned themselves off. Like it's, it's part of the work is done right there. So. Okay. So next interval type, Shoot. let's say I'm doing, um, two by 20 and I have five minutes rest, but in the, at, you know, at four minutes I go, Hey, my legs still don't feel recovered. Let's say I take an extra minute. Am I messing up the workout by taking a little extra rest on threshold? Repeats? No, you can take quite a lot of rest. I mean, if, if your day allows it, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the time, um, with two by twenties, three by twenties, the recoveries are short cause I'm trying to get it done or I'm trying to you know prescribe that it gets done mm. within a pretty narrow time, time frame. So if you can extend those recoveries and keep, again, again, keep the, the subsequent quality high, then absolutely do it. And that same would be said for anaerobic too, because anaerobic, you're- really- Anaerobic, especially if you're trying to build anaerobic work capacity, that recovery becomes pivotal. It's super important because you're, you're trying to stress the anaerobic system. And if you deny recovery, um, the, the work becomes increasingly aerobic and you're missing the point of the work. I think, oh yeah, go ahead, Nick. I seen, I noticed some of the differences are like eight minutes between- like us, you have an anaerobic set where I think some of those are put close together on purpose, mm-hmm. but then between the set, it'll be like an eight minute recovery. Yes. And okay. if I were to get off and go to the bathroom and it comes, becomes a nine minute recovery, I'm sure. not messing up the workout one no. bit. No, it becomes down. It's, it's like basically the difference between capacity and repeatability. We're, we're usually addressing one or the other. I think of it, it, this is probably a throwback for some. And then for other people, they feel like this is going to reveal my age. But I feel like I think of Mike Tyson's punch out for Nintendo. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody ever played that or really any other video game like that. But that. you basically, heck yeah, you basically had a stamina bar, right? And that thing would wear down and you needed to wait until that would go back up. And if you tried to jump back in too yeah. early, you weren't able to reach the heights That's that you wanted to. Perfect way to visualize it. To. Yep. Yep. I was a Sega kid. <laughs> I don't know if Sonic had something like that. I, I assume so, but <laughs> no. But that's that's what I think of. Like you, you have to you have to give yourself with those type of workouts. You have to give yourself the time to recover, so then you can actually. Perform that's the energy that system level. you're trying to stress. You have to let that energy system replenish, so that you can continue to stress it rather than shift the stress to another energy system. In this case, the aerobic one. That's the key. So now let's talk about. Let's say I'm doing 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, right? Mm-hmm. And I have you might have 10 of those in a set. Mm-hmm. On those, what if I, every 10 seconds off, I'm not pedaling because I'm so gassed? Uh, not, not a big deal, but with the 30, 30s, 30, 30s aren't the best example because 30 second valley is a lot of time for your aerobic Let's uptake to, to dwindle, but let's stick with the 30, 30s for a second. Okay. I mean, in that case, that's more, that's kind of the most even split you'll find between developing capacity and repeatability because you work really hard, but then you have enough time to shed enough stress. I just did this workout last night. 
you can do those almost indefinitely. You can mm. do so many of them. But when you do- When you're Coach Chad, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you do like 30 with a 15 second recovery, um, the idea, especially with those, when we start to get into those micro recovery valleys, is to keep your aerobic uptake high. So, but, but even during 15 seconds, if you stop pedaling, it's not like your breathing is going to come down any more than if you pedal for that entire 15 seconds. But so it's not going to be the biggest detriment. My concern then would be if, if, for instance, you're in erg mode and you don't start pedaling soon enough and you chop off the first few seconds of that next interval, which is already a very short interval and you just made it shorter, that could impact the workout. But in terms of what happens in that recovery valley, whether you pedal or don't pedal, it's not going to be that big of a difference. So here, would you, do you think people should either, if they have a ch choice between pedaling through those rest periods or just skipping one of the... Mm, it's two different situations. I, I would recommend when at all possible, pedal through it just to keep the clearance going, just to keep the, the metabolic byproduct fun, funneling off. So the lactate builds up and then the aerobic system turns it off or, or gets rid of it. And it does a better job when the muscles are active rather than just sitting there stationary. Mm. Um, when the workout, the interval quality starts to degrade. So these 15 second intervals start to become 13 second and 11 second and 10 second because you're bailing early or your power is just plummeting at the end of them. That's when you skip one. Mm. Try to take, you know, you basically take that 15 second recovery valley, extend it to 45 because the three times 15. Mm. And then that that's a, a good rallying, uh, a resource rallying uh, method, in which case the rest of the workout, the quality of it's going to go back up. And if, again, you get to a point where you're just falling apart and you skip just one of those, all told, you ducked out on two of, what, 20 intervals, which means you got 18 quality intervals instead of 14 or 15 reasonably. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and, and something that we've mentioned plenty of times on this podcast, but remember that, uh, specific things happen to your body at specific intensities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we're working at these type of, uh, higher intensities, we're, we're searching for specific adaptations to come around. So if you are, you know, dropping your power and you're not able to hold it, you know, skipping one. Yeah, that's going to change the nature of the workout far more than skipping an interval or two. And in this case, if I were to pause it in between and take a mm -hmm. minute rest, mm -hmm. that would really change the nature of this workout, right? It would for the next few. Because again, if we're trying to maintain a high level of oxygen uptake, you're basically letting your whole system calm back down. So now you have to stir it back up. You got to get all the way back up there. So the next couple of intervals aren't really on point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So to re reiterate what we've said, it sounds like the rest periods, um, if they're more uh, like uh, a high aerobic uptake, mm -hmm. they're more important to kind of keep those same ones. Yeah, if and it's that's a, pretty easy to determine to determine because you just look at the workout. If they're really densely packed, then we're looking for a really high aerobic demand. Awesome. And then if we have a a uh, we're doing more muscular endurance or anaerobic or even endurance, taking a little bit extra rest isn't going to really kill in, the in most cases no no and in general we're going to want to pedal through all the rest periods if we can that's the idea if you can just just active musculature clears better feels better so if you can if you can keep it active it's it's and, and there are there are a, a number of studies that compare passive recovery to active recovery and active recovery almost always wins out and it's better for racing yeah mm -hmm. and, and and tying into that remember that psychological benefit that you could be getting from that there's one more that we didn't talk about which i mentioned earlier is the reduced amplitude billot kind of stuff where my quote unquote rest period is at 80%. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm guessing that's going to be really important that I'm actually pedaling during that 80%. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're not really doing the workout. So you're actually recovering at recovery wattage rather than learning how to fight mm -hmm. through it and gradually clear the, the discomfort. So the those ones up. pedal through. Yeah, 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 for and, sure. And, and but, but again, if, 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 if you skip one of those, if for one of those, you do backpedal for the, the 15 seconds and it helps you keep the quality of the rest of the set high, mm -hmm. then do that. You'll notice with most most of those workouts too, we're talking about an interval set when it's, you know, the billets where it's, you're doing the high intensity than, than quote, resting at threshold mm -hmm. uh, or, or sweet spot area. There's, there are, those, that's a set of intervals usually. Uh, yeah, they, so they, they'll be you know, a five or six minute set of the, re of those repeats and, and then, then you'll have a, a recovery in between, uh, you know, an actual recovery, three or four minutes or two minutes or whatever it is way down at 40 or 50%. And we have a blog post that lays all this stuff out. 
Yes, it's called The Principles of Recovery Intervals. And it's, it's going to be released with this podcast. Yeah. In fact, if you listen to the podcast uh, the day of, you might beat the blog post, but it'll be up right after that. So if you look up there on, on blog.trainerroad.com, you'll be able to find it. I'm looking so. at the guy who's finishing the blog post because he's in the room <laughs> and it, he just mentioned it's going to be up. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, let's move into the next one. Right, do we do we have any? Oh, one other thing that I just want to recap on that you mentioned, Chad, mm-hmm. you will notice if you look at uh, the training plans that we have laid out, you'll notice that recoveries tend to, uh, like, even when we're talking about longer efforts, like in the sweet spot base, mm-hmm. you'll notice that the recoveries from week to week will start to get shorter. And a lot of that is an intentional too. So, um, one thing that I see people think is like, oh, I did a, I've heard of people saying like, no, with VO two max intervals, I need X minutes to recover between, um, never, never say that your body just needs a fixed amount. Um, and, and part of the training that we're doing is, is hopefully getting you to the point where you can actually put out whatever that power is uh, more dynamically. Next one is from Jonathan. He has a fantastic name, if I may say so myself. He says, "Pretty good." <laughs> he says, "I'm loving Trainer Road in the podcast. I listen to it religiously. I'm 48 years old and started riding bikes four years ago to lose weight. I progressed to triathlons with the only goal of using races as a motivator to stay focused on training. I really love the training aspect, so I kept progressing until I finally reached a full Ironman two years ago." Um, good job, man. That's pretty awesome. He says shortly after I moved to Bangkok and riding became something of a challenge. Bangkok is incredibly hot and the streets and traffic lead to safety issues. I soon picked up a smart trainer and started using trainer road. It has got me hooked on not only finishing, but also getting faster. I've dropped over 40 pounds. Holy cow. And finally have a 200 FTP. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. And, uh, completed my second full Ironman this month in Cairns. Good job, man. Really cool stuff. He says, if it wasn't for Trainer Road, my second full Ironman would not have been possible while training in Bangkok. I could not have been happier with my results. Sweet. Good to hear. Uh, thanks for sending that in, man. We appreciate it. Uh, he says, my only goal now is to get faster. I only race once or twice a year, somet- and sometimes I feel like I should be doing more races. But my question is this, how many races should you do in a year with the sole purpose of getting faster and being more competitive? And can you even do too many or too few races in a season? It's a good question. It's a great question. Yeah, it is. I, I would base it on the type of racing. So certain types of racing, you have to race to get faster. I mean, there are certain things you can't learn indoors. You have to go race like a criterium or something where you have to learn pack riding skills. You have totally. to learn cornering. You have to learn how to ride a wheel, et cetera. Yeah, you can be at f- five watts a kilo Doesn't and matter. still get blown apart yep. if you have no skill. Mountain biking. Totally. I'm a good I'm, aspect of this, right? Yep. I'm even thinking, and, and even though this may example. not, this is not as extreme as like mountain biking, but even in triathlon, just learning the ropes of, of, of the actual of transitions of everything else, like the context is so key, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's like a cross two, like you totally. can be really super high fitness. Actually, we have one of our employees here. He's going to do cross Vegas, never done a cross race. He's triathlete and road guy, I think he's above five watts per kilo. He's above five. Yeah, he's like goes. 130, but he's got like a 320 FTP. Yeah, he's yeah. stupid strong. Stupid, yeah. stupid strong. Very strong. <laughs> he used to train at the Olympic Training Center. And if he's going to do a cross race, Cross Vegas would probably be the best one to do because it was yeah. pretty consistent. You know? But I was just saying, if he can't clip in when he jumps on back on his bike. Uh, you losing time. I know, I'm hoping. <laughs> no, I don't hope he's losing time, but I, I mean, it's my only chance ever to beat him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it'll happen though. But see, th- those are like really tactically, um, strategically uh, centered races. I think with triathlon, anything that's more akin to time trialing than mass start racing, I think you can get away with racing less. It's more about the conditioning, less about the, the tactics and the strategies. Hmm. So that's one question with the, like the skills. But then another one is, can you just race to get fitness and ha- like, can you race too much that it's going to hurt your training? Because we, we talked about it before, but if I'm doing a, a road race, let's say, and I sit in for 40 miles and just do one, like, you know, it's like easy riding for 40 miles. Mm-hmm. And then I just have a minute of hard work. So you basically did a base ride. Exactly. Which if you're trying to cultivate high aerobic capacity, it's not going to happen. Not in that manner. And let's say I tapered for that. Right. Yeah. And then I, I skipped some workouts. So maybe it's a B. So I skipped, maybe it's a Saturday and I, I skipped like three days of training. If I do that all the time, it's going to be hard to constantly progress. Right. Because yeah. You're not really, you're, you're missing out on all the quality, which mm-hmm. is why we see so many people who will put in the, the base season, maybe even a build a build phase and have uh, accumulate this high fitness, go out and race and race and race. And their fitness just goes downhill the entire time mm-hmm. because they race a particular way. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and it might be the smartest way to raise, but it doesn't build your fitness. So that's the, that's one thing to think about. Also the type of racing of A, B, or C, um, I think maybe depending on the race, if you have a criterion, you know, it's going to be really hard or let's say a cross race, you know, the cross race is going to be hard no matter what, right? Like, uh, uh criterium, it could, the, the, the pack could dictate stuff, right? But if it's a cross race, it's going to be hard, especially if you know the course and that could maybe you replace a Saturday interval workout for that's going to be an hour with a cross race for an hour. And you can probably get some benefit there. Right. Um, other ones that I think you can replace are triathlon. So Jonathan is a triathlete and you not get to me, but there are yeah, yeah. <laughs> question, question Def- submitted. Definitely not you. Uh, <laughs> you can, um, sprint Olympic half, half, maybe not so much recovery, but you get to dictate the pace, right? So if you were, you know, uh, you can do a two and a half hour Olympic on the weekend and pretty much replace the workout and have it still be pretty high quality because you can say, I'm going to make my whole 40 KTT be at X percent mm-hmm. FTP and then I'm going to run at this mm-hmm. percentage. It's fun. It does get expensive because triathlons are expensive and are. time stuff. And are you, if you're okay with not taking a big taper, maybe you can throw that in. And as long as you recover, the other, the other thing is if you go too deep, it's like a half Ironman. Pros do this a lot. They can do a lot of half Ironmans, but they're pros. Yeah. If you do a half Ironman, usually then you have to, you go a little too deep and it's like doing these, you know, we've talked about before, like a big six, seven hour ride that simulates an Ironman ride or something, then you got to recover. And is that really yeah, worth it? The recovery but, duration is so long that your fitness actually starts to decline a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the other side of this, I can see some guys that are more fit, they do a sprint and it's actually not enough training stress for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So they, they do a sprint and it's like, well, maybe they generated, I don't know, a hundred TSS cause it's only an hour long or right. a little bit over an hour when really they need like a, a 200 TSS mm-hmm. day or something. No, you like still that. have to be reasonably scientific about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, I mean, if, if you're, if you're a chef, one of my favorite dishes is paella and that's a Spanish dish and it's got a bunch of different ingredients in it and nothing would improve. You could be a chef that constantly makes paella every day, every day, every day, maybe making little tweaks to change things around, but nothing is going to improve it. Like going back to the ingredients, going back to the basics and actually putting better quality ingredients from the beginning into it. And looking at your season, you can race and racing will teach you certain things that you need for sure. Uh, in triathlon, perhaps less, but man, if you are not going back and revisiting the basics of what actually makes up your performance, in other words, structured interval training and, and, and making sure that you're trending things in the proper direction, you can just expect that things will get stale at best and, and worse, you know, as they, as they go down. I see that so much with road racing season, you know, around here in different areas, it, it'll depend, but around here, road racing st- season starts in January now, mm-hmm. uh, really early on. And it starts in January, and usually you see a lot of people that just come out firing and around that region, maybe February, maybe March, they come out firing, and then they try to just race, 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 and then they get disillusioned because they feel like they've just gotten so slow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you definitely can get to a point where you race too much, but the key principle here is we're talking about um, we're talking about performance being the main goal. And if, if you want, and you said your only goal is to get faster. So if that's the case, then it's definitely, uh, you can race too much, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And one other thing to think about too, Jonathan, um, that you can do during a race, let's say you have a sprint on the weekend is, uh, and you're replacing a, a training session that has the right amount of training stress and all that kind of stuff. You can practice different percentages of FTP on the bike mm-hmm. and different pacing, like in the water to kind of get faster. So you can say, okay, this race, I'm going to gun it on the the swim more than I usually would and see how that affects my bike. Or I'm going to be riding at 90% FTP instead of 95% FTP mm-hmm. and then see how I run after that and but kind see, of play with it and think about it. All this implies that it has to be a race. It doesn't have to be a race. He can do race simulations. Totally. I mean, you sure. can go out and, and, and reconstruct all of this stuff without entering a race and going to all the, all the work of, you know, and the and expense costs, yeah. of being part of a race. I mean, I think of, I mean, the conditioning, and we're big proponents of doing it indoors. I mean, that's the, that's the best place to do it. But the certain skills that you have to acquire need to be done either during a race or during a race simulation. Mm-hmm. And when I think of this, I think of Kyle Dixon. Kyle 
races his bike sometimes once, maybe twice a year, and he goes out and wins a national championship. He's a local. He does he's a local rider. So much of his conditioning <laughs> indoors, so he's super fit. But then he goes and practices and rides hard outdoors, so that his skills are sharp. He doesn't race a ton, but when he does race, it means something. But it's because he's found that proper blend of indoor conditioning and outdoor skills. Yeah, it's really important, and certainly in something like mountain biking or or criterium racing, something that is really like you have to hone that chess game. Uh, it's really important. Something that I do to help myself with this to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping on track is I have my main priority is that my training progresses as it is or as it's laid out in my plan. That's the main goal that I progress and get to peak fitness and fit or in other words, finish my specialty phase at my a race. Right. And just as I said, a race there, I prioritize my races based off of that. Uh, I'll have races that I will categorize as A, B, or C. Uh, C races might be just a local weekly race. That might just be like a small sprint try, or if you have like a sprint try series, who knows if they have that in, in your area. It's something small, inconsequential. Uh, you might just be going out there to test certain things. Maybe you're testing com uh, equipment in a race scenario, whatever it is. This is kind of like a race simulation is the way you should see it. Um, B might get toward testing something a little more specific, either toward your fitness, your strategy, or something else, or maybe even the environment that you'll have with the, the, the A race that you pick. Uh, and that helps me make sure that I'm not, I'm not racing too much. I'm not out there racing too little. I, you know, I think about what would I need in order to perform well on race day. And I'll look at my races as just another element of my training to work in rather than looking at my, at every race that I could do as an opportunity to prove my ego and fitness. I try to look at it from that perspective. And here's a pro tip show up at, let's say I'm going to use triathlon and it's a C race and you're training to it. Don't tell people. Don't say, uh, you know, oh, this is just, uh, <laughs> my sea race. race. I did a big, I like, <laughs> I did a 20 mile yesterday running and this is just, you know, I'm just, trying, just don't tell anyone. It doesn't Nobody matter. Nobody likes that if, guy. <laughs> if you went down. Yeah. Because you're going to naturally be faster and slower than some people. And it makes you sound kind of jerky, it does. especially cause like, you're like, I did a 20 yesterday. Then you've like smashed some people. Um, cause you, unless you're the last person, you're always going to beat one person. Right. Totally. Um, no one cares. And yes, you might go down in the rankings if you were fully tapered, but just don't mention it to anyone. Just say, I'm here to have a lot of fun and it's great. You know, like, yeah, let's enjoy this. How are you doing? Yeah. That's, and just going back really quick, another, that, uh, that Kyle Dixon gentleman that we, that we mentioned, he's a great example of that. He just shows up at the races and you, if you were to ask him how he's going to do, he's like, huh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm just, gonna, I'm here to have fun. So it's, it's, it's cool to, it's, I like that. That's a good attitude. I like to say, I'm going to go hard. Yeah. Like I'm going to go as hard as I can. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is going to be the last question for today. We're going to end on a good note, guys. Uh, Fun note. Yeah. Triggered. <laughs> he says, hey, guys, long... Th this is from Nick. He says, hey, guys, long-time listener and trainer road user. I'm one of those crazy endurance, endurance athletes that really enjoys lifting weights and going to the gym and even the evil CrossFit workout on occasion. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, he says, does it make me faster? Not necessarily. Do I have fun with it? Yes. Do I care what other endurance athletes think? Nope. Amen, brother. <laughs> I like that. He says, but I do care about what you think in regards to the CrossFit Games this week announcing a cyclocross event. And and I think that he even typed in cyclocross, which is pretty funny, um, as well as a rums, run, swim, run event. Uh, please discuss just stirring the pot a bit. Thanks for all you do. Uh, so we, I, I watched, uh, I just kind of put this on a second screen at my workstation and had it playing for a while. Uh, I couldn't just pay attention to, I mean, obviously with the work I'm doing, couldn't pay attention to it there, but also it wasn't exactly the most, you know, uh, exciting race to watch. Let's talk about what they did. They, they actually had cyclocross in the, mm -hmm. in the CrossFit games as in like barriers, grass, um, uh, Sand pit. yeah, picking up bikes on rigid mountain bikes with flat pedals. I think did they have front suspension. Yep. Oh they yeah. Had they like did. A, sure. It looked like they were, they were like treks, like low end mountain bikes. So probably not a whole lot of, of, con, of yeah. some minor obstacles. They had a couple logs they had to roll over. It was like a race of champions or like an IROC race. They and all had the same bike. They're you know? all very big too. I, yeah, I, yeah. so I good for them for doing more endurance stuff. I dig it. But yeah, uh, I wish there was one, um, she's getting really good at CrossFit, Kat Baker. She was a pro triathlete and I think she was trying to qualify for the games and I wish she would have shown up mm. because especially the runs for oh, run. Yeah. She, she would have destroyed. She is so fast swimmer and really fast runner. I mean, she's CrossFit now, but I'm sure she could have just jumped on. Oh yeah. Um, the only thing I mentioned this before, I don't have anything. Well, I do have something against CrossFit. <laughs> the thing that I have against them is they say they're the fittest athletes in the world. Yeah. And 
you guys are good at CrossFit, right? Like CrossFitters are good at CrossFit. I would have loved to see, like, if they're the fittest in the world, let's take a world championship cross racer, put him on the same bike with the same flat pedals and let him race the fittest athletes on the world at the same time and yeah. see you guys get lapped. It's not that we think CrossFitters are not fit. They're fit at what they do. And that's yes. the thing. It's, it's all about specificity. They're, they're arguably the most versatile athletes on work on the Perhaps. earth. Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And yeah. maybe they, that could be their tagline. The and, most and versatile athletes in the world. It's not they're quite hugely athletic. Have a, no, they're reason. hugely athletic, very fit athletes, but, yeah. but, uh, they're yeah. ripped. I would They're love, yeah. I would love to see somebody like Jeremy Powers out there, because um, <laughs> compared to those athletes, he would look just so scrawny and you know just rolling away. It'd be pretty yeah. funny. But uh, that's it. It was, it was entertaining to watch, and good cool. for them for doing it. I just, it's just why call yourself the fittest people in athletes? And then they they argue too that <laughs> their way of training for endurance is better than. Well, it depends on the person, but some people say the CrossFit endurance is superior to anyone. I remember before um, a few years ago, one of the big CrossFit endurance guys was arguing that um, Chris McCormick Macca, who won the Ironman Championship twice and won like everything else in triathlon, yeah. that if only he would start doing CrossFit, he would be faster. Oh, and. Uh, <laughs> yes, no, exactly. And if he could just, I think he said something like, give me like three months with him. This is after he had lost to like, uh, got second place a few times. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. if only he would spend a couple months with me, I would get him, oh, yeah. you know, my promise to you is CrossFit will not make you a faster endurance athlete. It might give you a stronger body. It might make you more capable in, in a rounder sense, but it will not make you, it will not make Maka win, yeah. win Ironman. You, you know, what will be better is you will look better naked. <laughs> with CrossFit, this is like guaranteed. Cycling never makes you look that great. Yeah, <laughs> at, at CrossFit, man, If in college, I wish, there wasn't CrossFit around when I was in college and I wish it had it because in college, I was all about that's looking yoked and yeah. yeah, right? Like being big. I, I absolutely adore CrossFit, but I'll tell you what, it's not gonna make me a faster cyclist. It's only worked yeah. against that aspiration. You know, something <laughs> something that we talked about though, Chad, a lot of people misunderstand CrossFit that they're just good power lifters. No, no, no. And, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, and, and to, to prove and it really, it's, you know, it is an endurance sport. And I think the best athletes, the best CrossFitters are coming around, or these, these are the people who already know, but the rest of them are coming around to the fact that this is a very endurance oriented sport. It's an endurance sport. It is. There's a huge strength component, but the fact is the, the people who do best are very well metabolically conditioned. Right. They simply are. If you, no events take place in, you know, one or two minutes. I mean, well, some of them do. Yeah. But even those, there's a heavy endurance component to it. So, so, so they've caught on to that fact, which is why they're starting to integrate all these endurance events, which is interesting and fun to watch. And it, you know, breaks things up and. Yeah. It seems like something like almost on the other side of the fence, right? To a lot of people, they're like power lifter, CrossFit people doing endurance things. But if you looked at it, the ones that did best in the cyclocross and the run, swim, run, they also did well in the other events. Yeah, the top 10, every, every one of those people had a good or a relatively good time in those early two endurance events because they have big engines. They have big aerobic engines. Yeah. I So per, I've done some CrossFit and back... I, a long time ago. And I admit that it is fun, but something interesting is uh, I saw an interview with one of the female competitors afterwards who was a pro, and she said that that cross race was the most fun event she's ever had at CrossFit Games. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. She just to tell you guys, like, yeah. cross is fun, like, more it fun than anything fun. else she'd done. She, well, she had a big smile on her face. It looked like a cross racer afterwards. Like, it was so much race, fun. Yeah. And it was yeah. a killer crowd, too, that was there. It was massive. Like, it was really loud coming into the finish straight, which was cool. And that's that's part of it, too. I mean, I know that they have a lot of people, you know, cheering and everything else with that. But a race environment, when you're doing that, and there's a lot of people along the boards, which cross has, man, that's a cool, it's a cool feeling. You know, I wish they had would be a, a muddy course because good cyclists <laughs> on a muddy course on cross still fall. Flounder. But man, a bunch of people who don't ride oh. bikes on that, that would be, that'd be very uh, entertaining. It and it would be, I mean, I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I've on, if it's my experience on mud is it doesn't hurt at all. If you it's, just, yeah, usually cross is pretty low speed. Usually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's Mostly like embarrassing. On, it's falling on pillows yeah. and it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. slides and stuff on hills, but yeah. Hey, why, why you got to call yourself fittest person on earth? <laughs> Most versatile. And I like the more they do this, you mm -hmm. know what they should start the CrossFit games off with? I've always thought either a marathon or an Ironman. Just weed those suckers out right away. Be like, <laughs> all the really heavy guys that can just lift They're a lot of weight. They're all really heavy though. They're all very strong people. Well, either right. way, just start off with a marathon. Yeah. Right. Be like, sure. okay, we're gonna first day run a marathon. Now nah, just relabel it. The the most versatile athletes on earth. I know, but if they're not gonna do that. 
<laughs> and then the next day is who can squat the most. Like, okay. and then go both. You know what I mean? Like, sure, would be awesome. So if you have questions about cycling or even CrossFit, whatever it may be, uh, you can submit them to us. Please no more CrossFit. <laughs> but please submit your questions. Uh, you can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We've been getting really good questions lately. And if you think that your question is dumb or or or, or not needed, just submit it. Uh, chances are it's not dumb. Uh, so submit it. We'll come through them and hopefully we'll answer it next week. Once again, trainerroad.com slash podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.